You're listening to a Thames Estuary Partnership podcast celebrating London's famous tidal river. We hope you enjoy it. Hello and welcome back to a truly immersive episode of Talk of the Thames. My name is Chloe Russell and today, on this special occasion of World Ocean Day, we invite you to embark on an extraordinary journey on the River Thames. From Kew Bridge to Richmond, all through the eyes of a paddleboarder. This episode promises to be an exciting and intimate experience as we dive into the world of paddleboarding while celebrating the magnificence of our local patch of the ocean, the Thames. As you listen, prepare to be transported to the water's edge, where the gentle lapping of waves and the melodies of birds serenade your ears. You'll hear the raw and authentic sounds of the paddle hitting the water, echoing the rhythm of our paddleboarder's journey. Our adventure takes us through West London, unveiling hidden gems, picturesque landscapes, and the captivating contrast between the vibrant urban life and the tranquil beauty of nature. We'll witness the dynamic interplay between the cityscape and the river, as our paddleboarder and our own Thames Estuary Partnerships data and training manager, Wanda Bodner, navigates this remarkable stretch of the Thames. But that's not all. In this episode, we have a special treat for you. We sat down with Wanda outside of the waterway for an intimate interview. We delved deep into her world, exploring her connection to the river and her passion for protecting our precious waterways. Wanda shares her first-hand experiences and the joy she finds in paddleboarding, immersing you in her perspective. Get ready to be captivated by the stunning scenery, the ambient sounds of nature, and the rhythmic tales of the paddleboarder's journey on this world ocean day. So sit back, relax, and let the immersive experience transport you to the waters of the Thames. We hope you enjoy this unique episode, meticulously crafted to bring you closer to the beauty and wonder of London from the perspective of a paddleboarder. Let's dive in. So we are at Kew Bridge on the north side and we are using pedal boats provided generously by Active360. This is their base and basically what we have here in front of us is the River Thames. And before we set off, uh, I just need to give you a bit of a safety talk. So first of all, it's quite important that you stick to the right hand side. So that is the main navigational rule on the on the Thames. Any big objects just try to stay away from it as well but the best bet if you just stay close to me so we can uh, hear each other as well and I always tell you what to do but avoid big objects and uh, stay generally on the right hand side. The other thing that is quite uh, good to look at is the surface of the water because that actually tells a lot. It tells you the direction of movement. It tells you where the wind is blowing from, if there's currents or, or anything that's on the surface of the water. It, it generally gives a good idea of your environment. Just to give a little bit of a, 
an overview of, of the Thames and, and where we are exactly. So when we talk about the River Thames, we actually talk about the whole of the River Thames, which is 345 kilometers long. It starts uh, the head, the Thames, the source of the Thames is at Gloucestershire. And then it comes all the way down here through London, uh, flowing into the North Sea. Now, this, because of this connection to the North Sea, there is a section of the Thames, which is tidal, which we call tidal Thames, or Thames Estuary, or within the sub-community we call it Tideway. Um, so the, the, the tidal Thames, in this case, is going up to Teddington, which is an artificial end to it. And basically, it's being influenced by two high tides and two low tides in a day. Uh, it roughly changes every six hours. And actually, the tidal range can be up to seven meters. And if I'm correct, we will actually see that difference today because it's spring tide. So you know, the, the high tide is going to be quite big. Now, if you're wondering what it means, what, what an estuary means, it's quite simple. Basically, an estuary is where fresh water meets the salty water. And because of the tidal influence and the fresh water coming down from upstream, here in the London area, we have, this, uh, we have the estuary. So we are basically connected to the sea. The sea comes in twice a day, and we can regard London as a coastal city because of that. There are other such coastal cities as well, for example, New York that sits on the Hudson River, also an estuary, Brisbane, which sits on the Brisbane River. So all of these big cities really popped up along these estuaries, mainly because of uh, the possibility to do trading via boats and ships and whatnot. Yeah? Okay, the other thing with regards to this tidal movement and the, the Thames estuary, which can sometimes throw off people, but perhaps um, is that, that's more of a misunderstanding because other rivers in Europe will have the same color. So it's the brown color of the Thames, which can be off-putting perhaps, but the brown color is actually because of the naturally occurring, occurring mud on the riverbed. Uh, the Thames would have been brown as well when the Romans arrived. Uh, so Thames actually means dark. Uh, that's how they call it as well. And we can see that because of this tidal movement, this constant mix of, of water with the constant change of the high and low tide, this mud is always mixing around, being resuspended within the water column. And then... Um, and that's what gives really the color of the water. And then when we start to go off, perhaps we can see as well that sometimes you can see that from the top, this is, this is why paddleboarding is actually quite good as well, that you can actually see from the top that the, there are these brown clouds that you can see like, wearing, like you know, moving around. Uh, on the surface of the water, so that's, that's the mud and that's, that's what gives the color of the water and it's also very important for wildlife. It's full of nutrients which, which uh, generates plankton growth which then uh, uh, helps the, the food chain going all the way up to the mammals. Yeah? And on our left there's a butterfly and about <laughs> 30 Canadian geese. Yes. Yes. 
close. They like to they like to hang out here, and this spring period is is a bit bit tricky with them because they're quite territorial and they can come at you. So <laughs> just keep your distance. So that's the other thing. It's not just the objects, but obviously we need to respect wildlife as well. So keeping away from the birds, not disturbing them too much. What inspired you to start paddleboarding in London? So I started to paddleboard in 2014 when I lived in the Netherlands. And then when I moved back to London in 2016, I basically wanted to do something or wanted to be somewhere where I could do paddleboarding. And then I did the usual search and I, I found this company called Active360 uh, and I found that they do paddleboarding. But at the time I didn't have my instructor qualification and I wanted to become a, or I wanted to do the instructor just to be able to learn paddleboarding properly because I learned or I learned it all by myself. And so I, in 2017, I went for one of the qualifications that you can get here in the UK. And then with that, I needed, I needed to have some shadowing hours clocked. And so I went to Active360. Uh, that's how I met with Paul Hyman and I started to do the shadowing and then in that summer they took me on as an instructor as well. So right now we're going to go up to Richmond with the incoming tide which is going to give us a pretty nice uh, speed so you're not going to have to pedal too much but just make sure that you avoid any big objects and just stay out of the way and then if any big wave is coming just make, what you can do is try to turn your board uh, against the incoming wave, yeah, or just ride it out with that foot again. <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah, I can ride out. Yeah? Yeah, give it a go. Okay, so let me... It's a boat wash, depending on the speed of the boat and the size of the boat. Yeah, so just start to pedal forward, give it a go, see how it feels. What's your favourite route to take on the Thames and why might that be? So I prefer the one that we actually took, so when we went up from Kew to Richmond, because that's the, the greenest part really and that's the most natural. To be fair, paddleboarding in, in London on the Thames is quite restricted, so you can't really go, you can't actually go below Chelsea unless it's, it's an organised thing. I had the luck to paddleboard through London twice, from Kew down to Bermondsey, which was lovely as well, but actually paddleboarding in central London is quite challenging. Cause, yeah, I can um, imagine. Yeah, I mean, we actually had to be off by 10 a.m. So we started at 7 and we were at Bermondsey at 10. So we were not really in the way of the traffic, which is why we had to do it so early. But in any case, because it's all built up uh, environment, any any sort of wave that's being generated just bounces back off from the river wall. And that makes it a little bit challenging. So I prefer to go up to Richmond or even go beyond that. That's the Arcadian Thames. Mm. It's natural, it's leafy, it's, it's how a natural environment should be. 
All right, so we just passed Kew Bridge. We just came under the bridge. And we are coming up to Brentford Island, which is a small island, just uh, a couple of hundred meters uh, from Kew Bridge. These islands um, were created by just the deposition of, of the river material, the just sediment over time. And there's over 180 such islands all of, on the whole of the River Thames. We have here Brentford, a bit further down we have Oliver's Island. And then further down we have Chiswick Island, which is the last one of these islands on the tidal Thames. And then we're going in, in this creek here, which we call Brantford Creek. It's a little side channel next to the main river channel. <clears throat> and this island is actually uh, uninhibited, so no one lives here. But apparently there used to be an infamous pub here, which was called Free Swans. I guess going onto the island was happening using a boat because uh, nowadays uh, it gets inundated during high tide. It was closed down in 1796. And now it's just for birds. And all these lovely trees that we have here, the majority of them were actually planted uh, in the 1930s when this area, the Brentford area, was going up for, uh, under gas construction works and the people who lived at Kew Palace didn't want to see it. So they uh, planted all these trees here to act as a curtain. And of course today it's, it's a very good habitat for birds. How does paddleboarding on the Thames compare to other bodies of water you paddled on? At first it was it was challenging because I didn't understand the water environment. You have to be aware of the tides, the currents, the big objects. You have to know how the river is flowing. But it actually, for me, it's, it's now very easy and I can say with confidence that I know the Thames well enough to be able to go on it and take people on it. Obviously, there's, there can be still issues, but I know well enough everything that I, if I go on it, I can enjoy it and it's, and it's relaxing and it's also quite good because it gives you this, the, the tide actually gives you this basic speed that you can go with, so you don't actually have to pedal like mad. I did enjoy that on the day. <laughs> yes. I have pedaled on the North Sea a lot wow. uh, when uh, when I lived in the Netherlands. So that's that's a different thing. So in that case, you have to be aware of the offshore winds, onshore winds. Again, the tides, the currents, they're applicable as well. So you can see that there's the, there's that gap there. So there's a gap in between uh, on Brentford Island. There's a little gap. And then during high tide, you can see how it gets inundated. You've got little e egrets there, and some uh, some uh, mallard ducks. What are some of the most interesting sights you've seen from paddleboarding in London? What's, what are the highlights? 
Well, obviously, when we went through London, everyone wanted to have a picture in front of the House of Parliament. <laughs> so that's or or with yeah or with the London Eye or whatever there is but I was actually quite lucky because when I went once with this big group Paul Paul Hyman actually took a really good picture of me with the with the tower bridge in the background oh that's pretty cool so and that's something that keeps on popping up at various places it's an unusual perspective yes it is it is so this ship is interesting because this has been here or boat. Uh, this has been here for ages and now the vegetation is growing on it as well. Mm. And sometimes you can see foxes on it. Wow. Look at the little younglings. The water line along the boat, you can actually see how fast the tide is coming in. Which you which is really hard to actually sense when you are on it. When you actually compare the speed to something, then it's it's quite clear. How does paddleboarding in London change throughout the seasons? Yes, I have to say that I'm not good with the cold. Yeah, me but too. But <laughs> there is uh, there is a possibility to go out uh, all year around. Oh wow! Active Three Sixty does that as well. So does uh, other companies. That's interesting. So it's not seasonal. No, it, it doesn't have to be. You just obviously there's no bad weather. Just bad How clothing. Thick your skin yeah. Is. yeah. So you have to dress properly. Mm-hmm. But there is something that I have never experienced, but I would really like to be able to actually... There can be winter mornings when there's this fog just settles on the Thames. I've seen pictures of it. Oh, that sounds magical. And that would be something that I would really be... I would really like to be able to try. With Chloe, with me. Yes, sure, (laughs) why not? Um, And then I've seen images of of this dense folk sitting on the river but wow. you can you can sort of sense or see that the um, the, set, the sun is starting to rise and wow. it's starting to start to break through and start to burn it off oh that's gorgeous so those uh, mornings can be quite magical I think mm. so that would be something that I would I would still need to try is that more in the winter yes it is yes, yeah. that's more of a winter thing it makes me think of Richmond Park when you get the fog and then you get like deer antlers popping over yeah them. yeah but uh, also, I really love the summer evenings, oh. so like June, July evenings, oh, yeah. um, and where we were actually pedaling, that's where the, the sun settles mm. as well, so, and those those evenings when it's warm and it's calm, yeah. normally the, the, the river traffic is down by then, mm. and it's just you on the river, and it's, it's, it's that silence, and it's sunset, and orange and and red and it's lovely all right so here on the right hand side here we have the grand union canal which joins uh, the river brent as well and it actually joins the region canal at little venice which is close to paddington and then from there it's what we call the, re- uh, the region canal, which goes down to Limehouse. And the Grand Union Canal actually runs all the way to Birmingham. 
And these Kana systems, they were actually artificially created in the early uh, 1800s. The main purpose was to carry cargo, such as coal, timber, ice, fish, etc., to the industrial north. And the reason why we call towpath the area next to these canals because these barges that were carrying these items were towed by a horse. Um, and so that's why we call it towpath. And on the left-hand side, we have uh, Kew Gardens, which is a World Heritage Site. And they have the largest and most diverse botanical collections in the world. But the river is nice and quiet. And we have the lovely birds as well. What are some of the biggest challenges you face while paddleboarding in London and how do you overcome them? Challenging can be during, for example, low tide session, it can be quite busy on the river because there's less water and there's less space. It can be that the wind direction changes and you're sort of paddling through the river but the wind is just coming into your face and you're just in this wind tunnel and, and you just there's no way out of it. And well obviously if it's if it's a very strong wind then we wouldn't we wouldn't go out. But it can happen that the wind direction changes or the, the strength or all of the sudden. But I to be honest, I never really experienced any difficulties so far. So it's it's a very proactive setting when we go out and do the session so we have to be well well prepared with everything and mm. understand the environment and within the next two three hours shouldn't really be there shouldn't be any problems mm. or weather change or whatever do you get wind gusts like through channels within buildings can that be yeah a so that's more on the on the canal so there's the grand union canal uh, where you can go and pedal board as well. Yeah, they, they built all these taller buildings now. Mm. So those buildings will create these tunnels where the wind picks up and becomes stronger. Mm. So, But you are aware of these. Mm. So obviously you just make sure that you can come down to your knees or sit down or whatever works. Oh, interesting, yeah. It's funny adapting to the city in that, in that, mm. in that respect. Yeah, but then... It's it's a different view to to see the city from mm. from there as well. So there's you know, absolutely yeah, and a pleasure as well. Mm. Mm. <laughs> so in the background there we have a, a Sion House. That's building where from you can actually visit Sion Park as well. You can actually come into the garden during the summer period especially during uh, June, July evenings. That's where, this is where the sun sets in the background. And this area can be beautiful uh, during the sunset hours, the colors, etc. So, as I mentioned, we have uh, two species of seals uh, on the, in the Thames. Is the Zoological Society of London that uh, does the area, the annual aerial surveys during August, and based on their 
research. There are about 4,000 uh, seals altogether. Grey seals that are a bit uh, n more numerous than the harbour seals. You can distinguish grey seals and harbour seals based on their, the shape of their face. So harbour seals tend to be more like a cat, more cat-shaped, and grey seals are more like a dog, and they also tend, tend to be bigger. And it's the harbour seal that we tend to see during the summer season, the reason being then that's where they that's when they give birth to their pups and that's when they also molt. And molting is something that happens annually. Um, and what happens then is that they gradually lose their fur. And during that process they need to be out of the water, water more often. Because obviously they can get cold as well. So that's when we tend to see them sort of basking on the sunshine. Down at uh, Oliver's Island, at that area, they tend to uh, hang around if, if we are lucky to see them. 2020 was uh, quite busy in terms of seal sightings, mainly because of the reduced traffic on the river. Um, that's when I saw most of the seals as well. And basically, in terms of seals, they are, this is their natural habitat, this is their environment, this is their, where they're meant to be. And if we're lucky enough to see them, we just have to make sure that we keep our distance and basically ignore them, but obviously appreciating the encounter when they, when they lay on the foreshore or on the beach somewhere, even down the coast we really have to make sure that we don't disturb them because if the seal looked at you, then uh, it clocked you. And that means that the seal is in, is in uh, fight or flight mode. And actually seals can get stressed in a sense that if they suddenly need to go into the water, then they, it can be caught for them as well. Because before a seal goes into the sea or the river, they make a conscious decision and it takes about 30 seconds for them to prepare themselves. And by preparation we mean that they, they divert their blood flow towards the center of their body and then they remain warm. But if they don't have that and if they suddenly just, just want to get away from us, then that can lead to a cold water shock in, that, in their case as well. So it's very important to respect their habitat, to respect the distance and not to disturb them, even down to the fact that not even uh, raising an attention so that they actually look at us, because once they looked at us, then they, they already like, okay, what's going to happen now? What, what do I need to do? And most of the time when they lay out on, on the foreshore or on the beach, is that they're either digesting their food, or just having a rest or just getting warm. So there's a reason why they are there and that's what they need to do. So just like when you are laying on the beach and you don't want different people looking at you up close and personal, the same applies to the seals as well. How do you think paddleboarding contributes to your understanding of London's waterways and ecosystems? Well, it depends. So if you, 
if you decide to go and paddleboard and higher, for example, on the Grand Union Canal, then and if you if you're interested, then you can obviously search and find interesting things. You can find out about about the canal system, and the same can happen with with the Thames. So there's plenty of information out there. But that specific session that we went on to, so this is something that Active360 delivers specifically, these Thames Natural History Tours. And you're the leader. Where I I talk about the, the river when I take people onto the river so that I try to explain a bit more about this environment in a way that they don't come away and think that it's not something where you sh- where you shouldn't be. Is on the contrary, so that people reconnect to the river. And this was actually something that Paul Hyman, the director of Active 360, wanted to do for ages. And then when I met with him, and I told him about my background, and that's when he put the two together and said, mm. "Okay, how about doing this?" And then we've been doing it since. 2017, I think that's when we wow. trialed it, and we've it's been running ever since every summer. Wow, what a treat! I got to say, you do get a very rounded picture of the environment on that tour, and I know for a fact. So Wanda actually gave us more like an overview of the tour. She didn't want to give everything away, and to be honest, I don't think we could fit it all into the episode. But what you did tell me was very interesting, and I am very curious to hear the rest of the anecdotes. Yeah, so you can you can come you can come on to one of these sessions, and then you can have the full full rundown. Yeah, definitely. So we are at uh, the, an area called Isleworth, and here we have on the left we have Isleworth Island. And Isleworth Island is actually the whole thing is a nature reserve. It is maintained by the London Wildlife Trust. You can only go onto it with special permission. One of the reasons why uh, it is a quite important area is because we have the two we have two rare species of air breeding uh, land gastropods that live on the island. Is the two-lipped door snail or Thames snail and the Ger- German hairy snail that we can find here. And it was, the island was actually once the center of production of osier, which is a willow which was used to, to make these baskets and, and to carry fruit and vegetables, etc. And it's a really nice area. So here we are actually on, in, on this channel and there's a boatyard area here. But on the other side, when we come back, you will see that it's, uh, it's really nice and, and lush and green. So my next question, before we move on to... So this is coming out on World Ocean Day. Happy World Ocean Day, everyone. But before we get into that, I've got one last general question. What advice would you give to someone who is interested in trying paddleboarding in London for the first time? Look at at the weather. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they... Obviously, there are various options... Uh, with Active 360, people can come onto the Grand Union Canal or, or go uh, onto the Thames. Just look at the website. They can find the different sessions, different times, different locations. And just be prepared that the weather can be different on a day than what, what the forecast said. 
just be prepared with with clothing and shoes we don't do barefoot at all on the Thames so you need to have closed toed shoes uh, that you don't mind getting wet and muddy and just just come out and and enjoy it's it's a really good good thing to do because it really switches you off mm. you are on the board you're looking around you sort of want to make sure that you stay on the board so there's an extra focus required and it, that's what I get out of pedal boarding that mm. it really puts me into this so-called flow mm. where you just completely switched off mm. and you just there and everything else is is gone and you and you don't think about anything else and you can just just be there and just be one with nature mm. and and that's that's a really good way of sort of relaxing mm. at mm. least for me absolutely and it's, it's funny actually because I completely agree with your switching off but at the same time you're like you're so open-minded mm. Mm. and it's just it goes back into the title of this episode it just gives you such a unique perspective yeah. of like I mean, there's a lot of local listeners in London and it's just an angle that you've just never seen before. It's magical. Yeah, I mean, obviously London has its ups and downs, but there are bits and pieces of this lovely city where where you can just go out and just reconnect with nature and be be either in the forest or on the Mm. river or both as we we saw as well so nice and you just switch off and Mm. you don't have to go far it's Mm. all it's all here on our doorstep Mm. i mean london has lots of green and blue spaces and and actually almost half of london is green as well Mm. so we can all just if we need to just switch off from that gray red mind and turn to to that blue mind if you go to the river or forest bathing or mm. oh I love forest bathing oh yeah such a such a fan of both those things yeah big fan in this concrete jungle you kind of need it yeah yeah okay so here in front of us uh, just going towards Richmond we have the Richmond Lock and Weir which is a Victorian built uh, footbridge it was opened in 1890. Uh, four, and it is maintained and operated by the PLA, which is the Port of London Authority. And as we go closer, you will see that within these arches, if you look up, you will see that there are these vertical steel sluice gates. And what happens is that two hours after high tide, until two hours before the next high tide, these uh, gates are lowered down and they will keep the river in the upstream part of the bridge. And the reason why they had to do this is because basically currently we have uh, the modern London Bridge. Before that we had the new London Bridge and before that we had the old London Bridge which actually stood for 600 years. It was an absolutely amazing structure. It had 19 arches. It was a very dense structure. And these 19 arches with the corresponding uh, piers or bridge, bridge footings acted as a dam. And so they stopped the incoming tide. And with that, the river wouldn't 
wouldn't really drain away with the outgoing tide upstream of it either. And that was the default position for 600 years. And when they removed that, they suddenly realized that, okay, the river is draining away here because we don't have that dam effect anymore. And so that's why they built this bridge here. And they use, you can see these sluice gates uh, that they lower down, you can see the tracks. And that basically keeps the, wa the, the water at half tide level and it makes sure, it's making sure that the river is actually navigatable as well. Okay, so moving on to World Ocean Day, very exciting. So how do you think paddleboarding has increased awareness of ocean conservation? Because I feel like it's become quite popular in the last, I don't know, like half a decade, decade? It's funny because stand-up paddleboarding has been around over a hundred years. They've been doing it forever on the Pacific, really. But for some reason, it became a thing sometime around 2006. And then since the early 2010s, that's where that's the decade from when it really became one of those things that people are doing more. You can see it in the cities popping up more as well. Now you can pedalboard everywhere now. So I guess this is a really good way for people to to go out and and be on whatever water body they 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 are on, probably whatever is closest to them. I guess in terms of how this connects to the ocean, it's it's a, it's hard to say because. It really depends on why people go out, you know? So if I wouldn't say that people should go out and paddleboard just to look for seals, because that's not what we want. Uh, seals need to be left alone and respected. If, if the encounter happens, it happens, that's great, but it should happen on the seal's term and not the other way around. Mm, what's that? It, it really depends. If you are... Uh, one of those people who are interested what's under the water, then you will find a way to find it out on your local patch. But if you just go out to, to switch off, that's that's also great because at the end of the day, that's, that's what we, we need. We need well-functioning people. The way to achieve that is that we find these quiet places and, mm. and time for mm. us mm. And, and whatever activity we do. What could be something that maybe will become popular soon is the sup and snorkel. I love snorkeling. <laughs> so that's something that uh, I saw already that there's more of those happening. So you can go out with the sup somewhere in shallow coastal areas and then you go for a snorkel. If you do that, then then obviously you will learn more about the, the underwater environment, which is all, which is extremely important for, for us to understand, this, especially at this day and age. Okay, so when, when these sluice gates are actually lowered down, it doesn't mean that you can't actually uh, navigate the river. So if you are a boat, then you can use the lock that just there on the left-hand side of ours. And actually that's the lock where that minky whale two years ago, I think, uh, stranded. That was this six months, I think it was six months old. So that me 
from this I can come to the point where I can say that so we apart from the fish, the birds, the numerous invertebrate species, the seals, we also have we sometimes we get large mammals as well. But they're not really meant to be here. So it can happen that humpback whales or minke whale or a common dolphin ventures into the estuary. And the reason could be for that is that when they make their way down on the North Sea and they want to go onto the English Channel and onto the Atlantic Sea, they just accidentally make the wrong turn. And one of the factors of that could be is that the English Channel is actually the busiest uh, waterway in the world and that uh, underwater disturbance can be the problem. Of course, this is just an idea, but this is why we sometimes we have these large mammals here. And the other thing which is also interesting with this bridge with the, with the Richmond Lock and Weir is that during uh, the fall, it depends how many weeks, but can be November, December. Basically what they do is that they don't close the sluice gates and they allow the river to drain away. And when you come here during low tide, the riverbed can actually be exposed and you can walk, walk on it. And that can be actually quite a good uh, opportunity for mudlarkers, for uh, volunteers to just come down and just see the river in a different way. They can do cleanups and just uh, look for treasures. And this is what, called, what we call as the, the, the big draw-off. And that happens every year, sometime in the fall. So let's just get to Richmond and then we can go ashore there, we can have a small break, we can wait for the tide to turn, so that's important because that actually can take us back. In your opinion, in your professional opinion, how can we inspire more people to take action to protect the ocean and what role do you think paddleboarding can play in this effort? So just like we, what we're trying to do, paddleboarding can help open up people's eyes and mind in terms of finding out more about the local environment and understanding it more. Mm. And after understanding, perhaps, comes appreciation and yeah. love. And then people will protect what they love. But what we, what we all need to make sure that the littering is is a big issue. Plastic pollution is a big issue. Over overfishing, overconsumption is an issue. So just being mindful of where our litter goes and where resource our fish. That's that's the two two uh, basic things that we can do just on a on a general public level. Okay, so we are just we are just coming up to Richmond now. In front of us we have Richmond Bridge, which was built uh, between 1774 and 1777. And today it is the oldest surviving Thames Bridge in London. And on the right hand side, here we have Corporation Island. Again, one of those little islands full of birds and actually this tends to be full of heron nests uh, this island 
And another interesting fact, uh, it was on this island where the last picture of the Beatles together was taken in ni- 1969. Let's, what we're gonna do is we're gonna slowly edge towards the left-hand side. So just after this white boat, we're gonna be able to turn towards the left and we're gonna have this uh, uh, area where we can go and go, go ashore, yeah? So last but not least, in honor of World Ocean Day, what messages would you like to share with our listeners about the importance of ocean conservation? So what we need to appreciate and all of us to be aware of is that our planet is 70% ocean. We get a lot out of it, including the air that we breathe. And we just need to be aware of the fact that whatever we put into nature, it will eventually come back to us because we breathe the air we eat the fish, drink the water. So whatever efforts have been made to to keep the ocean clean, that needs to needs to be appreciated. And that if people can support local charities like us, for example, Thamesashi Partnership is a charity, we do a lot around the Thames, then please do support us one way or another because we really do trying to make sure that our waterways here in London, especially the Thames, is, is, remains intact and in fact, hopefully on the long run, it can become a much more biodiverse and, and a very interesting place for a lot of us to actually go out and just enjoy because that's that's what this is all about just appreciating and enjoying nature okay so we are in we are in Richmond now which is quite busy as always it is a lovely little area here and although we can't actually see it anymore I need I just uh, I thought I would mention about mud larking and mud and all that so mud has an interesting property which is that it doesn't hold any oxygen and because the riverbed is extremely muddy whatever object has been either accidentally or intentionally dropped into the river and can be recovered can remain intact because it doesn't decompose and so basically the whole of the Thames area can be regarded as as an archaeological site and there are uh, mudlarkers who by hobby go down to the riverbed and look for treasures and they can find items going back to thousands of years and basically this is why the river Thames also is a very important source of information for Londoners because finding these objects we can stitch together our, the, the past and we can understand better how people lived, what kind of objects they used, etc. So again, another reason why we must value this river.
And that brings us to the end of this immersive episode of Talk of the Thames. We hope you enjoyed this unique journey through the perspective of a paddleboarder, exploring the beauty of the River Thames from Kewbridge to Richmond. Before we go, we want to express our sincere gratitude to Wanda, as her knowledge and love for the river have truly enriched this episode. We also have an exciting announcement to make. Today, at the Thames Estuary Partnership, we are launching a new course, Introduction to the Thames Estuary. This course is open to everyone who wants to learn more about the history, biology and ecology of the Thames. You can find out more details about the course in the show notes of this episode. We'd also like to extend a special thanks to Paul Hyman and his company Active360 for generously providing us with their top-notch paddleboarding equipment. If you're inspired by Wanda's journey and want to experience a Thames Natural History paddleboarding tour yourself, be sure to visit the Active360 website for more information. On this World Ocean Day, we encourage each and every one of you to cherish our ocean and waterways and to take action in protecting these invaluable resources. Together, we can make a difference. Thank you for joining us on this remarkable adventure along the Thames. We hope you've been inspired and captivated by the beauty of London's natural environment. Remember to check out the show notes for more information about our brand new course. And until next time, happy World Ocean Day. This episode has been brought to you by me, Chloe Russell, on behalf of the Thames Estuary Partnership, and we most look forward to welcoming you next time.